0: Good to be alive, and even better to be well these days. Praise the Lord. Are we okay, Pastor? Good. Bless you. Encourage you. and be encouraged this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your love and your blessing. Thank you, Lord, that you're here this morning just to touch our hearts. And we pray now, Lord, that you'll just open our hearts to hear your word. We're not interested in what man says, but we are interested in what you have to teach us this morning by your Holy Spirit. And so bless our hearts as we gather together this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. We're delighted to be here, and we're delighted you're here. And if you're listening from Haida or from home or wherever you are, bless you and minister to you by the power of the Holy Spirit today. I've been reading Ephesians personally a little while these past weeks, and uh, I got to chapter 3 in Ephesians, and there's a passage there here, the great apostle Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, obviously, but I think his truth is writing to us at Westwinds or Heideguire, wherever we are this morning. So I want to use just a little portion of chapter three, and I'm gonna ask that you will just listen very carefully to what the apostle Paul is saying, because I think it applies to us this morning in the situation in which we find ourselves, and Pastor's spoken about that this morning already. Here he is, chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before my Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth derives this name. I pray, now listen to what he's praying. I pray that out of his glorious riches that's Jesus, out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you. Amen? Come on, you're going to have to respond to me this morning. He may strengthen you with power through the Spirit in your inner being. That's what we need. That Christ, now listen again, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Amen? Come on, that's getting better. All right, that he may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power with all the saints to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the full measure of God. And now, listen to what he says as he closes this passage. Now he says, to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above everything we ask or imagine, According to his power, that is, at work within us. His power at work within us. Amen? That's getting a little better. His power working in us. To him be glory to the church and Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. C.S. Lewis... Said life with God is not immunity from difficulties, but God is peace in the difficulties. Everyone needs to remember today and this week that anything under God's control is never out of control. And you need to remember that. That anything Under God's control, he says, is never out of control. And let me tell you this morning, I know you know it, but let me just tell you, everything is under God's control this morning. Doesn't matter what it is. Everything. And when it's under God's control, it's never out of control. I want to go this morning to the Gospel of Luke. And in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, verses 22 to 56, we've got four stories about Jesus. Four stories that clearly show God's control or Jesus' control, either one, Jesus' control over danger, over demons, over disease, and over death. I want to look at those four with you this morning. In the first story in this passage, we hear Jesus' voice that brings calm and peace. Jesus had said to the disciples, so it was his command to the disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. And they were on the Sea of Galilee heading to the southeastern side of the lake, and Jesus was in the boat and being dead tired, He fell asleep in the boat. Halfway across the lake, a vicious storm descended on the lake, and finally the boat was taking on so much water that they were in great danger of being swamped. But the storm had not disturbed Jesus at all. He just continued to sleep. Such storms were common on this particular lake. One moment it would be calm, and the next there would be a fury of a storm as the winds came down from between the mountains on either side of the lake. And finally, in real fear, the disciples woke up Jesus with the words, We're perishing! Now, these men were not strangers to storms. They were fishermen by trade. But this time, panic gripped them. Jesus woke up and simply rebuked the waves and the wind. And immediately, everything was calm. And the disciples said to one another, He commands the winds... And the waves. And they obey him. And Jesus looked at the disciples. And he said, where's your faith? Now, he was not implying they didn't have any faith. That's not the question at all. He was not implying they didn't have any faith. But he was simply asking them, where is your faith in this circumstance? Surely. They should have been considering that if Jesus was in the boat with them, no harm could come. You know that, I know that, and it's just common sense. If Jesus is in the boat, you can't get harmed. Actually, when Jesus spoke to the winds and the waves, he says, Be muzzled. That's the Hebrew word. Be muzzled. And we know he uses the same word, be muzzled, a little later on in this next story that we'll talk about, to demons. Jesus knew that the devil was back of the storm. And I think we have to begin to grasp afresh and anew that there are two forces in the world today. In our world, just as much as they were there, God and the devil. And the devil is always trying to oppose everything that God does. And in a sense, we're caught in between the two. Do you remember the old hymn? Maybe some of you will remember the old hymn Master, the tempest is raging, the billows are tossing high, the skies are shadowed with blackness. No shelter or help is nigh. Carest thou not that we perish? How can you lie asleep when each moment so madly is threatening a grave in the angry deep? The winds and the waves shall obey thy will. Peace, be still. Peace, be still. Whether the wrath of a storm cost sea or demons or men or whatever it be, no water can swallow the ship where lies the master of oceans and earth and skies. They all shall sweetly obey thy will. Peace. Be still. They all shall sweetly obey thy will. Peace. Peace. Be still. Let me remind you this morning, and I'm not telling you something new, but let me simply remind you this morning that wherever Jesus is in the boat with you, the storm can become calm. Oh, I know we're not on the sea, we're not literally in a boat. But in these days in which we are living, in the days that we have been living for seemingly a long time now, the storms are going over in our mind, in our thoughts, in our feelings, in all that we talk about. And we seem to talk about nothing else most of the time. But the fact is that when Jesus is with you in the storm, there is peace. And when Jesus is with you in the storm of life, in your mind, in your thinking, in your imagination, in all that you think about, the reality is Jesus still controls the storms of life even in your life and my life. Grasp it this morning. In the storm that you think about and get all turned up about, Jesus is there with you in the boat, and his word is peace. And everything in the whole world must obey him. In the second story, in the same passage, we hear the voice of Jesus giving directions. This story takes us to the region of the Gerasenes, south of the Sea of Galilee, where we're very surprised, actually, to see pig farming taking place. We're surprised because it's Jews who are raising pigs. The Jewish Torah only allowed animals that chew the cud and have cloven hoofs to be eaten, and thus pork was prohibited. You'll all remember the story of the prodigal son and at the very depth of his life, he's feeding pigs and taking care of pigs. It was a disgrace for a Jew to be involved in those kind of areas in that day. But no sooner had Jesus stepped onto the land in this story, a demon-possessed man met him and confronted him very bluntly. Note this man's humiliation. For a long time, he'd not even worn clothes. Note his isolation. He was staying among the tombs, or in the graveyard, if you like to call it that. He was totally in subjection to the evil spirits. He said his name was Legion because many demons possessed him. What a tragic specimen of degraded, uh, mangled humanity. And immediately seeing Jesus, the demons of this man cried out, saying, Leave us alone, Son of the Most High God, don't torment us and don't send us into the abyss. They were terrified, the demons were, that Jesus, to whom they must show submission or sovereign, would send them into the abyss, which if you go through Scripture is very clearly to be eternally separated from God forever. And Jesus, who had been confronted by this demon-possessed man, commanded the unclean spirits to come out of the man. And they begged Jesus, don't send us into the abyss, but into the pigs that are around there. And Jesus granted them the desire, and the pigs rushed down the cliff into the sea and were all drowned. It made uh, the owners of the pigs absolutely furious. All they wanted was for Jesus to get out of the area immediately, leave right away the principle is still true. If Jesus, if God, begins to interfere with people's investment, they say, get rid of him. Make him leave. Three worlds meet in this story as you read the story, and the three worlds are very real. There's the underworld of the evil spirits, There's the world of human experience and the world of divine control. The pig herders, of course, had fled the scene after the pigs had all gone into the sea and were drowned, and of course the owners came out to see what had happened, and they saw a man sitting clothed at the feet of Jesus in his right mind. And they were all scared silly. And they begged Jesus, get out of the way. Leave, 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 leave. I wonder, did they fear that Jesus would spoil the pig industry? We have no real biblical answer, but I suggest to you that probably was the case. You see, they weren't interested in a delivered man. They were interested only in their total investment in the pigs. At the end of the story, in this second story, we hear Jesus' voice. And he gives directions to this demon-freed man. Listen to what Jesus says. The people of the Gazarenes had begged Jesus to leave And he'd heeded their request. He was walking away from the scene. And the man who'd been delivered from demons, and was now in his right mind and clothed properly, said, Jesus, let me come with you too. And Jesus said, no. Go home and tell all you meet what God has done for you. Let me ask you this morning. Think think with me quickly. What did this man know about Jesus? He'd not been a disciple. He'd not been under the ministry of Jesus for a week or a month or a year or even days. And we're baffled. But Jesus is saying to this delivered man in clear inference to those who have been delivered, from sin, he's saying our place of bearing witness is precisely where we live and where we work. Think for a moment. Just think through the story. Jesus himself left them. He walked away. But in one sense, he hadn't for he'd sent his own homegrown evangelist back into the home area to bear deliverance to Jesus' deliverance ministry. The supreme irony is that Jesus left, but in a very real sense, Jesus stayed because there was now loose in the territory of the Gergesenes demon-deprived evangelist who couldn't stop talking about what Jesus had done for him. What's Jesus done for you? Jesus has in one sense, and don't misunderstand what I'm saying, but Jesus has in one sense left, and he's left you and me to talk about what Jesus has done for us. Could it be that you are his sin-forgiven evangelist, constantly talking about what Jesus has done for you? Maybe you need to stop and think for a minute. What has he done? Then go out and tell everybody what he's done If you look back in the history of evangelism, church evangelism for a minute, do you know the most thrilling thing, I think, in many sense, is that the first conversation which really attracts somebody to come to Jesus and eventually find him a savior is to hear what God has done for you. You can give him ten scriptures if you like, and that doesn't most of the time make much difference. But the other guy, the other gal, the other person, the other neighbor wants to hear is, what you've got real? Has it done anything for you? And so Jesus left this guy to tell what Jesus had done. Luke in the third and the fourth stories that are really intertwined together Talks about a woman who had been desperately sick for 12 years, and this isn't something just today and gone tomorrow, it's 12 years she's been sick, and a 12 year old little girl who'd been pronounced dead. First, in this part of the story, we need to realize very significantly that as far as Jesus is concerned, you're never just a lost person in the crowd. You're never just one person out there in the crowd and have no connection with anybody else. Jesus sees you, sees me as individuals. And he knows right now that you're in church, Or he knows you're in home if you're listening from home. Or if you're in Idaho, he knows you're there. You see, Jesus knows exactly where you are. And he doesn't see a crowd, but he sees us as individuals. The first lady in the story had an issue of blood, which she had endured for 12 years. It had cut her off from society and life. She was voluntarily completely broke. She spent everything she had on doctors. And the law demanded that she be segregated from people. She was not supposed to touch anyone, and no one was supposed to touch her. And for 12 years, 12, got it? 12 years. She had struggled to regain health. I think, as you read the story, or as I read the story, it's absolutely amazing she ever got near enough to Jesus. But she finally pushed her way through the crowd, evidently, and grabbed the tassel of his garment. She must have thought, if I could only get near enough to him, if I could just touch him, He'd help me. Let me ask you this morning. Have you got that kind of faith? She must have had after 12 years. She struggled to get through. And she went against all the orders of the day. And she grabbed hold finally of the tassel of the garment. She said, if only I could touch him. He'll do something. He'll heal me. There was faith that was built up in her heart and life. And Jesus stopped. He's got a massive crowd around him, and actually the words tell us that they were crushing together to be around him. He stopped and turned around and said, Who touched me? You see, Jesus knows the difference between somebody reaching out in need And somebody who is just curious. And Jesus knows this morning, if you're reaching out in need to him. Jesus turned to the woman. And I love these stories. They're so real. He said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Now go in peace. in a very real sense, the crowd really was forgotten when she touched Jesus and Jesus turned. And let me tell you, she walked home. Totally healed. Absolutely healed. But you say, oh, do miracles like that really happen? Absolutely. Many years ago, when I was preaching in in a church, and we had a morning and evening service in those days. An older couple started coming to the evening service. I discovered over time they were actually Presbyterians by denomination. Every Sunday morning they were in the Presbyterian church. It was their church, and they were happy to be there in the morning, but they would come in the evening to our service and enjoy the blessing of God and whatever went on in the evening service. And uh, we chatted from time to time, but it was a very casual acquaintance in a sense. And then, one day, around the noon hour, because it must have been noon because we were sitting at the table eating lunch. We were just having lunch together as a family. And uh, I went to the door, and here were this couple, the older couple, who the Presbyterian couple, I'll call them to illustration. And... Uh, She said to me, Pastor, Pastor, the doctors have told me I'm full of cancer. I'm not expected to survive. And I'm on my way now to hospital for the final operation. They're going to put me on the table. They're going to operate and try and deal with this cancer. But they have told me that it is virtually impossible that I'll ever come out of the operation. And she said, I'm on the way now to hospital. I just want you to pray for me. And so obviously, we left the dinner table or the lunch table which we were at, and we laid hands on her and prayed that God would miraculously heal her. About two days later, it may have been three days, but two or three days later, a knock came on the door again. I went to the room around lunchtime once again, and here were the couple, beaming. She said, Pastor, they put me on the operation table. They get all ready for the operation. And after a while, they said to me, how come you're here? What are you here for? You've got no cancer. She said, Jesus, healed me. And it was real. It was definite. Do you know, it still happens. I could tell you lots of stories that I have personally seen and know about where Jesus has healed miraculously again and again. Folks, it still happens. And baby, you this morning just need to reach out and touch Jesus. But I told you that the last two stories are interwoven because Actually, the story started out by telling us that Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, had come to Jesus in this crowd of people and begged him, please come to my house and heal my little girl. She's 12 years old. The woman had 12 years old of sickness. This little girl is only 12 years old. And she's dying, the man said to Jesus. Please come and touch him. And Jesus replied, yes, okay, I'll come. And he's beginning to move in that direction. But his going, or his movement, if you like, has been totally delayed by this woman with the issue of blood. Think of the turmoil going on in Jairus' heart. As he remembers, as he can't get away from the thought and the understanding that at home they've got a little 12-year-old girl and she's dying and this Jesus is being delayed. He's not coming. And then the blow comes. His servants come from his house and say, Master, don't trouble this man any longer. Your little girl has died. Jesus here's the comment, and turns to this man and says, don't be afraid, just believe, and she'll be healed. And eventually they proceeded, of course, to Jairus' house. The story tells us how far they walked, we don't know. But we do know that when they arrived home at the little girl's room where she was lying on the bed, the room was filled with mourners, weeping because the little girl was dead. Jesus excluded the gatherers, telling them, this little girl is not dead, she's just sleeping. And they all mocked him with laughter. This guy just doesn't know what he's saying. But when he was alone in the room with the parents and the little girl, he took her by the hand and says, little lamb, To life again. And Jesus commanded, Give us something to eat. You see, Jesus has total power over death and over hell in completeness. And so Luke has given us four portraits of Jesus this morning in the passage. They're not difficult to understand, they're quite simple. Four portraits. And I ask you this morning, how do they apply to us? Because obviously, Scripture is not just meant to be read. It's meant to be applied. So I have to take it and apply it to my life. You have to take it and apply it to your life. The first story really tells us that when danger surrounds you and you're terrified and you cry out to Jesus for an answer, simply remember that if Jesus is in the boat with you, no water can swallow the ship where lies the master of ocean and earth and skies. Wherever Jesus resides, the raging torrents become calm. And again, please remember. He's not just talking about being on the sea because most of us are not in boats on the sea most of the time or maybe never on. He's talking about those raging turrets that go on in our mind when we get into deep troubles and difficulties and everything goes wrong in life. Remember if Jesus, the illustration is still good, is in the boat with you. He, Jesus can give you total peace. And right now, if you're in the storm, wherever you are, whether you're here this morning in church in the storm, as it were, or in Heiligwire or at home or wherever you are, you can still hear the voice of Jesus. Peace. Be still. The second story really gives us the command. Could it be that Jesus is whispering to your own heart this morning? Go tell what I've done for you. Remember in the story that Jesus had left them in a sense, but he'd really sent his own homegrown evangelist back into the lives of the people that man would meet, commanded him, tell them what I've done for you. Is he saying to you this morning, today, this week, this month, go back into your home area, go into your work area, and be Jesus' homegrown evangelist. And tell them what he has done. For you. Jesus, as it were, may have slipped away to meet someone else, but he's left you and he's left me to witness to others the miracle work of the Son of God. Let me ask you, who will hear from you this week what he's done? The third story tells us that Jesus is the healer of all diseases. I want you to remember, because I have to remember again and again, and I'm not any different than you are, we need to remember that nothing is too hard for Jesus. Jesus is still the divine healer of our physical bodies. And you can claim healing this morning even this morning, because Jesus died for our sins and our sicknesses. The woman walked back well, remember? Totally well. She was no longer an outcast. The issue of blood had gone. And Jesus still heals peoples today. I've witnessed it again and again and again. And if you have need of this, why not claim divine healing? from God, the author of all healing this morning, today. The fourth story reminds us of the little 12-year-old girl whom Jesus brought back to life. And however you understand the story, and I know there are different ideas of what actually happened, but regardless of that, however you understand the story, it certainly teaches us that Jesus is the conqueror of death. Itself, After dying on the cross of Calvary, Jesus rose from the death. Hallelujah. He defeated death, and he defeated hell, and he defeated the grave. And the truth of that should bring to our own hearts and lives a deep sense of peace and of joy. Death has been, in fact, totally completed because of Calvary. But listen this morning. When that call comes for us individually and that call to go on from this life to the next will come to all of us at one time or another. Some of us much sooner, obviously, than others. But we can be full of peace Assured that when we leave this life, we're going to be with him. Let's pray this morning. Bow your heads, close your eyes, pray with me this morning. It's time to pray in the very presence of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Lord, for those who are in the midst of a storm this morning, And some of them are here and at home or in Haida Gwaii, wherever they are. They're in the midst of a storm. Lord, remind them. Remind them that if you're in the boat too, peace can flood and fill their hearts with life. And if they're here, send them home this morning or wherever they are in peace because you are with them in the midst of their storm and let them hear Lord in their own heart the words of life when you say peace be still and secondly Lord for those who know you let them hear you whisper this morning you are my own homegrown evangelist go and tell I've done for you. And may we recall vividly this morning what you have actually done for us and then accept the challenge this week and start sharing again right away with all we meet. And then thirdly, Lord, for those who need healing today, reach down with your nail-scarred hand and touch them this very day. Because we need to remember, Lord, help us all to remember that nothing is too difficult for you. And finally, Lord, for all of us who at some time will begin to reach that eternal shore, let the joy of an eternal reunion with you quieten our hearts. And in final hours, give us total peace. This we ask, Lord, through the precious name and the power of the living Jesus. And now, may the Father who chose you, and the Son who bought you, and the Spirit who dwells in you, go before you in your darkness, stand beside you in your fears, hold you up in your sorrows until Jesus comes. Amen. Amen. And amen. May the Lord bless you today. May the Lord take some truth today and drop it, burn it into your very heart and life so that when you go out and go home, you can remember, not my words, but Scripture, and remember the truth of the living God. The Lord be with you and bless you and minister to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.